We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest. Hi, my name's Stephen. I'm an addict, and my sobriety date is the 6th of March, 2013. Um, I'll give you a small amount of background on myself. Growing up, I just had a normal normal childhood. Um, my parents weren't big drinkers. My siblings, they liked to drink, but nothing nothing out of the ordinary, but there was alcoholics in, in and around the family, aunties, uncles. So it was there. It was always there. Um, I was quite quiet as a child. Um, I liked my sports. I also liked being on my own. I always liked being on my own. That was the important thing. I liked my own space. I liked peace and quiet to do what I wanted to do. Um, but growing up, it was absolutely fine. Um, I'd say my drinking really started probably at the age of 17 and my drug use um, started with cannabis, um, drinking quite heavily as well, I might add. Um, I didn't work really for maybe about three years. Uh, I used to buy and sell vinyl records, buy them at record fairs and sell them on things like that. So I started to sort of settle down a wee bit at the age of 20. But that's when I started to drink a wee bit more rather than taking any substances. So I'd say throughout my 20s, my drinking did escalate to my mid-20s. And then I met somebody who is now my ex-wife, but I'll get to that later. Um, we met round about 1990 and we were together for 23 years. Um, had two daughters. Um, I started to drink more and I started to take more substances as well. Um, take a lot of amphetamines, any drug that complemented what I was drinking or what I was doing at the time. Structure my whole my whole life around what I was doing, my drinking, my substance use as well. Um, it started to creep up on me, my addiction really. I mean, it's a progressive illness, as we know. It tells you that in the big book, it's it's it is a progressive illness. So I'd say it really gripped me. Oh round about 2008 because things were coming back to me for things that I'd went through when I was younger. Um, I was bullied a lot and I think that's why I like being on my own because I tend to keep away from bullies as well. But apart from that, I'd say there was a lot of cannabis use a lot of amphetamines, a lot of drinking, 
if I didn't have drugs, I'd have alcohol. If I didn't have alcohol, I'd have drugs. But both, for me, were, were better. The effect that I got was just far, far better for me. It took me away, away from the other things that were going on in my life, things that I couldn't handle. Uh, probably 2008, uh, I discovered what's known in this country as legal highs, psychoactive drugs, which were, I found, uh, that's that's the one, the feeling that I got to that was just not like anything else I'd ever tried. It was just mind-blowing. And that's when it really started. And my life just, just spiralled out of control. Uh, that's when I started to lie, I started to steal, stealing off my own family, which, to feed my addiction, I didn't have any issues with that at all. didn't really bother me. I didn't think about it, because I only thought about myself, thought about what I wanted, how I was going to feed my addiction. And I did that, I sold a lot of things. Borrowed money on the premise that people were going to get it back. They never ever got it back. I stole money from my own family. I stole money from my ex-wife out of savings that she had. It was, at the time, I thought it was fine. But it just got worse and worse. I held down a job for quite a few years in the midst of this. And I, I was basically a functioning addict. That's what I was, a functioning addict. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to stop. Every day I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to stop. And it got to the stage around about 2010, every single day in life, that I'd, I'd just, I just wanted to end it. Simple as that. I just thought I was just dumb. I was just a low life. I was a thief. I was useless. But I had to hold down a job. The only thing that stopped me was my daughters, my two daughters. Um, fast forward that to Christmas 2012. That's when I really did hit my bottom. It was horrendous. The week before that Christmas, my, now my ex-wife, she just had enough. She just found and said, no, I've had it with this. I can't take this anymore. I just want you out. I want you out of the house now. And I went. I just went. I went on my, my bike, my mountain bike, and I, I just went. Nobody could contact me. I didn't want to contact anybody. And I just, I just went. Uh, it was, it was horrendous. My daughters were, they were in bits. They really were upset. I ended up staying, staying at my parents again. Uh, they, they put me up, but they didn't tolerate anything. Did not tolerate any drug use, and I stopped taking substances. But. My drinking really escalated by that time. During that Christmas, it really, really got out of hand and I didn't know what to do. My wife, she 
she phones me and says, right, your daughter's want you back for over Christmas. So I'm willing to take you back, but we're having minimal contact. We're doing it for your daughters, for our daughters. So I did. And things were just, they weren't normal after that. Just weren't normal. I just felt like I didn't fit in in the family anymore. Um, my daughters, I loved them to bits, but the trust was gone. All the trust was gone. So I just carried on as normal, but my drinking got worse. I didn't touch any substances. I went to get help and I got referred to an organisation who did counselling and I got a therapist and she was brilliant. She was so good, so good to me. She was patient. There was no time limit on what I wanted to talk about, how long I wanted to talk. And I was doing that this in between work, in between working and my employer had no idea about me at all. Absolutely none whatsoever. But February 2013, things just got too much for me and I just lost it with somebody at work. And the decision was that my employer said, well, we can either get the police involved in this incident or you just resign, you just go. So I went and that's when I went at the fellowship. I went to Cocaine Anonymous when I lost my job. And, well, go back another month, month or so, I'd been going to, been going to Narcotics Anonymous and I'd been going to Cocaine Anonymous and I'd been going to Alcoholics Anonymous. But I didn't quite get it. I didn't get it at all. Absolutely no idea what was going on. So when I lost my job, I walked about for a day, didn't tell my wife, and the morning after, I had to tell her. And she says, right, that's it. You have to do something about this now. And I did. I went into a cocaine anonymous meeting, and a week later, I got a sponsor, and that's when everything started for me. That's when my life just gradually changed. I could feel the difference after a, a wee while. Um, my sponsor took me through 12 steps relatively quickly. I think I, I did the work in oh, 12 steps in about 11 weeks. I just threw myself into my recovery, completely threw myself into it. Um, I wasn't working, so I had plenty of time to deal with my recovery. And in between that, I went to college to do a short course in social care. And two weeks later, I got myself a job working in a, a care home in Edinburgh. It was a dementia unit. And I was six months clean and sober when I started there. I felt I was ready for it. My sponsor felt I was ready for it. And 
I started it, and by that time, I was sponsoring somebody. So I had to juggle my recovery, sponsoring guys, going to meetings, and family life, and something something was just going to give. It really was going to give. I thought I'd found a balance in my life, but a year later, I was, oh, well, I'd say about two years later, that's when my marriage just completely broke down. Completely broke down. We just, I'd had enough. I was feeling left out of everything. Emotionally, I was done. I just didn't want to be in the marriage anymore. And then the October before that, six months previous to that, we decided to split up. And I stayed. I stayed just for my daughters. But I shouldn't have done it. It was a big, big mistake me doing that. But I did it for my daughters. And it was the biggest mistake I ever made. And the March after that, I left. And it was hurtful. I had to step back for a lot of things. But my recovery didn't suffer. I just kept going with my recovery. I was working. And I moved out to Edinburgh. I moved to Livingston, which is about 19 miles outside Edinburgh. And things changed for me. I felt... How did I feel? I felt like I was free. Free from being emotionally and financially restricted. Because the emotional scars that I carried, because of the way my ex-wife treated me. And I was I wasn't treated like a a man, if that makes sense. I was given pocket money like a child and I didn't understand. I'd, I'd never said anything and I just let it go and let it go and I felt free after that. And But my recovery didn't suffer. I kept going to meetings. I, was still, I, I had to step back to sponsoring, which hurt me a bit because I really enjoyed that I Sponsoring people is, you see them, you, you see yourself at the start of your recovery. You give your, you give them hope. You gradually take them through the work and you can see the physical change in them. You can see the, you can hear the emotional change in them. You can hear the enthusiasm. And I've always had enthusiasm about my recovery. I love recovery. I really do. My life has never been so good since I've been in recovery. From 2013 onwards, but more so, more so 2015, March 2015 onwards. That's when um, I'm just happy. I'm content. This is before, as it says in the big book, I was restless, irritable, and discontent. And I love talking about recovery. 
and I, I don't do as many meetings as I used to, but I still connect. I still connect to the people that need my help, and I'll always do that because I'll, I'll never ever forget the people that helped me because that, that's why we do this, is to help others. It's as simple as that. And I love watching people get well. I really do absolutely love it. Last year it was um, one of the guys that I used to sponsor. Um, he sent me a text message and he said, now I know that you stopped sponsoring me three years ago, but I'm five years clean and sober now and I want to thank you for helping me early in my recovery because without you, I wouldn't have got to where I am and that meant the world to me. It really did. I, I got emotional reading that and it's something that I'll never forget. The gratitude I've got, not just for the fellowships, but for what's in the big book, the 12-step programme, which I try to do my best to work daily in my life because now I don't work in a dementia unit anymore. I work with homeless and addicts. It's a homeless unit in Edinburgh. So I'm working homelessness and addictions. So I get the chance to speak to other addicts and because of the boundaries, I can't give them too much an insight, but I do let them know, look, I've been where you are. I've been at my bottom, but you can recover. We can all recover from this illness. You can. You just have to want to. And I've had a couple of success stories, I have to admit, but there's a lot that just don't get it. They really don't get it. They just go out there and I've said to them, says, well, if you don't take on suggestions with people, you'll die. It's just that that's the harsh reality of this illness. You you will die. And I never want to see that. I've known a lot of people since I've been in recovery that close friends that have just succumbed to this illness have just I've had years of sobriety and they thought they were fine and they've got complacent and that's it life over and it's it's the complacency that can kill you and I try my best not to be complacent some days are harder than others but I just keep on the way that I'm going now I'm in another relationship I'm living with a woman that I love dearly and she understands what I need to do understands to a point where the 12 step work that I did is about and helping others she's seen the other side of addiction she's been through that herself through other relationships so she's seen the other side of it so she does understand and it makes a massive difference on your recovery as well that somebody is actively supporting you the way that she supports me it's, it's brilliant. I absolutely love my recovery. And 
I'll never forget things that I've done. There's a lot of things that I've shared with my sponsor that I'm never going to forget, but the weight has been lifted. And when I was going through the work, when I got to steps eight and nine, I did my amends as quickly as I possibly could. And there was a couple of amends that I thought, no, I don't know if I can do this. So I got the advice of my sponsor and he says, just go and do it. Just go and knock on this person's door and tell them what you did and see what they say. If they slam the door in your face, you've tried to make the amend. And I did. And the amend was accepted. And I paid back money that I basically stole from them. And that was that. Now, because of what's happened in my, my marriage, and I've had minimal contact with my daughters, um, that hurts. But I just have to get on with it. It's as simple as that. There's nothing else for it. I have to keep going on in my life, keep going on in my recovery, keep myself safe, trying not to be complacent. Because, I mean, we can recover. We just have to want to. It's as simple as that. Take on the suggestions when you start going to meetings, no matter what the fellowship is, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, just take on the suggestions. Get a sponsor, go through the work, and then you can carry that message on yourself. And to see other people getting on in life is just brilliant. I absolutely love it. I mean, it does say in the big book is it's life beyond your wildest dreams. And to be honest with you, I would never thought that seven years ago I would be working in a dementia unit, then working in homelessness and addictions. But I do because I've got the ability to deal with things now. And I'm just, I'm happy, I'm content, and I'm so, so grateful to every fellowship, every single addict, alcoholic that I've met over these seven years. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that. And thanks very much for allowing me to share my experience, strength, and hope. Thanks very much. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.